You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. Well, listeners, today I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time and I'm very, very graciously humbled that Jane's decided to join me today. And Jane, just before we get started as to maybe how we met, could you maybe just talk a little bit about where you grew up in Australia and a little bit about your childhood? Hi, Elizabeth, and thank you for having me. I grew up in Adelaide and I grew up at the foot of the hills in Adelaide and spent a lot of my childhood in the Adelaide Hills in a big garden that was my grandparents' house. I had a wonderful childhood, really, that was full of trips to the country and full of books and full of family, friends and big camping holidays down at the Coorong. And it was quite a free childhood. You know, my brother and I would get on bikes or, in fact, we even once caught the train up to the Adelaide Hills and then rang our parents asking to be picked up. (laughs) So very different to the quite controlled and tracked childhoods of today. (laughs) So, Jane, when you were doing all of these, this touring round and camping holidays, tell me a little bit about your siblings and your family dynamics. Well, Mum was an incredibly elegant woman who probably didn't really like camping. (laughs) My father was a very successful businessman, very involved in the community, think Legacy Father, founded a company that became global out of Adelaide but was also really artistic. Mm -hmm. So mum ran the perfect house and garden and cooked beautifully. We were were allowed to be free. It was a house full of books. One of my friends said she learnt all her style from my mother and how to read and used to come to the house to get books. My brother wrote plays and I was always in the play. He was always the director and in charge. (laughs) Maybe that made me feminist. (laughs) And I was the one that had to go out and get all the neighbours and the audience. So maybe that made me the sort of strategist that I became. (laughs) From the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a younger baby sister who I think I probably saw as a rival, but I'm very grateful now. She also has a very artistic life and the three of us are incredibly close still. And Jane, if your mother didn't like camping, whose idea was the camping? I suspect it was Dad's idea and when you're a young wife, you go along with a lot of things, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) So, Jane, you've had quite an illustrious and interesting career. You've obviously concentrated a lot on urbanism and then you've been the author of Places Women Make as well as being the Mayor of Adelaide. And in your current role, you are the CEO of the Sydney Women's Fund, which I must say I'm a huge supporter of. Where did this interest of urbanism come from? Well, I think in my childhood, I was a great reader of books. And actually, my degree is in English literature and American literature. So it's not urban planning and it's not architecture, which is why I call myself an urbanist. Lucy Turnbull does too. She thought Mm -hmm. it was a good idea (laughs) because she's not an architect or a planner either, but she's 
deeply interested in cities. When I look back, I did find a poem that was published in a school magazine, which was about cities, that I wrote when I was really quite young. Dad was an engineer, although didn't practice as an engineer, but was always interested in buildings. And I wrote in Places Women Make about remembering my first sort of trip outside of Adelaide was a very long drive to Sydney to see the great snowy mountain scheme and the AMP building and the Opera House, which were appearing when I was probably about eight or ten mm. on Sydney. It was Australia's first skyscraper, the AMP building. I still love it, actually. <laughs> so certainly from childhood there was something that just I just have always loved houses, beautiful houses and places, interest in community and how people in all walks of life are prospering has always been quite a strong nerve in my family background. So maybe that's the thread. Mm-hmm. It's actually community, but I've come at it through first journalism. Then when I was 34 and a young mother, I had this passionate idea that Adelaide needed better new design and conservation of heritage, which made me run for council. And it's an education being on a council. And, you know, that public interest was was partly the motivation, not entirely in writing Places Women Make, but certainly it is in running and growing Sydney Community Foundation and especially its Women's Fund. Jane, because you touched on it, could we just go back to your time as... Adelaide Mayor, the Mayor of Adelaide, and you did take a particular interest in buildings in that role. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, it's interesting when you look back on the things that you do in your life. I really was initially motivated to run for council as a young mother living in North Adelaide, which is one of Australia's most intact colonial Victorian architecture suburbs. For anyone listening who knows anything about Adelaide, the idea of Adelaide was a utopia settled in 1836 and then it was planned as a city and it was planned with a dormitory suburb, it was called, which was North Adelaide and then it was a city within a parkland. And by the time I was in my early 30s, I was lucky to live there and I realised it was a, a special place As much as Australia has had development booms, there was one in the late 80s and it just seemed sensible to argue the conservation of the old corner bluestone pubs, the landmark buildings. At that point in time, there was protection for grand buildings, Mm. but not for the everyday buildings, the streetscapes. Melbourne had the same debate going on and, you know, led by Winston Mackaki at that time. At um, RMIT as well, yeah. yes. And while it was this sort of passion for the place, for the greening of the city, which was another initiative at the time, and rose planting in the streets, which is very suited to Adelaide's climate, and they're quite wild things that can virtually be chainsawed, you know, rather than pruned when they're en masse in cities. So it was that sort of sense of making the place that I lived a better place, preserving the past, And I was fortunate that I could communicate what I felt and the community came with me 
Mm. So, in fact, it was in the second election when I I realised after a first term that you really need to have a majority who think like you if you're going to make any changes. So I encouraged and formed an independent team and they elected me to be their leader. And all of this happened before I was 40. Smart woman. (laughs) I was young, but it's nice to think that the influence is regarded as a positive one. You know, it was fascinating, as you know, recently we drove from Sydney all the way up to the Northern Territory and one of my favourite parts was Adelaide and, and going through the Flinders Ranges and seeing those Adelaide Hills. But we also were learning about Sturt Highway, Stuart Highway and what those explorers did. And I think even as an Australian, you forget that Adelaide always had this nobility around it because no convicts went to Adelaide. Its upbringing is in the free settlers you know, and I think that that's where this little sense of sophistication comes in and that classic architecture. Well, I think we're all products of our history mm. and our stories, aren't mm. we? And in a way, places are no different. If you think of place, they begin because someone settled there and decided to do something. Mm. And Adelaide, in a way, is, you know, on the edge of the settled earth. After Adelaide, there's the Southern Ocean that's true. and Antarctica. <laughs> And there wasn't necessarily a reason for for it to exist. But it has a very interesting history because of that. And I think probably because of its geography, its Mediterranean climate Mm. and the connection into the outback, it's very different to other Australian cities. And, yeah, and the, the, the connection up to Alice Springs, the Telegraph, news from London came to Adelaide first. That's right. In the 1800s. And that's hard to imagine today. It is. One of the interesting things that I learned about heritage, as you rightly pointed out, it's not so much around the types of buildings, but it is about things, buildings that are older, and it's just so important to keep those. And I know you haven't mentioned it, but we've researched here that you saved 1,400 buildings from demolition. I was fortunate at the time that I was chairman of planning and policy for the city and was sort of driving this agenda as part of a a city plan review. Architects and planners and councils are an ecosystem that create our cities, so any of them listening will know what I'm talking (laughs) about. At that time, there was a a female planning minister who was also really sympathetic about the introduction of local heritage listing. And yes, we listed 25% of the buildings in the city of Adelaide, and it was 1,492. And I think a collection of things is always more interesting than a single extraordinary object. And cities are collections of ideas and hopes and aspirations of people and the architecture reflects that. I totally agree. Jane, outside of that part, and we will go and just discuss the book in a second, what other parts of the legacy of you being Mayor of Adelaide that you're most proud of? While I went in with this interest in heritage, being on council, it takes you into all walks of life in a sense. Council runs the central market in Adelaide. I was appointed to the Adelaide Festival Centre Trust. So I learned to, you know, I was always interested in the arts, but I actually learned about the making of theatre 
because the Trust at that time was producing Phantom of the Opera and, you know, major musicals. You would have loved it. Yes. <laughs> um, in, in Australia. As well, we became very aware cities run many services for people in need mm. and that we can live very separate lives in our own bubble and not really understand how homeless people come to be homeless, you know, how fortunes of people can just change in a moment. I learned about domestic violence and Catherine House is one of, you know, was one of the first and still remains a leading shelter for rehabilitating women. I learned actually there was a migrant health service that I was involved in finding a a place for, a building for in the city. So I really learned a lot about people who needed compassionate support from local government Mm. and from the community that they lived in. And I guess that's a a thread that, that joins up with what I do now largely trying to grow giving Mm. from individuals who have more than they need to support people in Sydney rebuilding lives. That don't have what they need. Yeah, that don't have what they need. We were just talking before we started about how we met in Venice, which was one of your big appreciations of the architecture community. But you've been a wonderful friend and also support. And one of the things I decided to do, and I'll need to date check this, but I remember we had this masonry conference. It was an engineering conference in Sydney and it was normally held all around the world. And I decided that not only would I have architects feature at it, but I would ask you to talk about your book, Places Women Make, and I would ask you to talk about that with Bridget Smythe and Rachel Neeson. And it ended up being one of our most popular sessions, particularly with younger architects and engineers. And I remember having that Oprah moment where I said, you all get a book. And then, of course, everyone wanted one and we all ran out. But maybe what sort of prompted the writing of Places Women Make? So my career began because I had a female voice and the ABC were looking for them on air when I was a graduate and became a a journalist at TV and radio at the ABC in the same, roundabout same intake with Richard Moorcroft who went on to have a stellar career as a newsreader. Then when I was elected to council in 89, I was more or less told I was a housewife from North Adelaide and what was I doing by the mayor at the time thinking I could run for council. Seems prescient now. I said, you know, women are people too. We hold up half the sky. I'd read all the literature while I studied an arts degree, (laughs) Gloria Steinem and the the whole lot. And then the six years on the council made me very aware that I was female and it was unusual. And it's actually not a nice feeling sometimes. No. And I was fortunate to be appointed to many boards in Adelaide and I was sometimes the only woman in the room. Initially, I would always encourage a second one to be appointed, woman that is. Mm-hmm. So I guess I've, you know, I've, I've had a feminist streak and when I started working with Hassel, a practice that began in Adelaide last century, founded by three guys from Adelaide who had been influenced by the Bauhaus. So Hassel, from the time that I started working for them, had this deep commitment to collaboration, having come from the Bauhaus, and they wanted to collaborate with people who weren't always trained as architects 
or planners, but I was a woman at a senior level in a company at that time that didn't have a woman on the board. And now, of course, all of that has changed. But through my, what began in about 1996, 20 years of working with major architectural practices and government, I was always conscious that most of the leadership, well, the leadership, the authorship of projects was men. And it was really reflecting on how will our cities be different in the future with much more of the design and thinking of buildings and cities by women that led me to sort of exploring that question and writing places women make. It began as I was asked by the publisher to write a book about my time in the city of Adelaide. It's not that book at all. No. It's a book that explores and tries to show what women have done, pointing to a positive future where there's a more equal hand on the design of places. I remember when we had that session, Bridget Smythe talking about her experience with a double pram trying to get through Sydney and saying, surely you know, there's a better way. But I use that metaphor or or real experience because I think there is so much that women can contribute to design and how things work. Well, it's essential. And if cities, if they're comfortable for women, if they're easy to get around with prams and pushes, if they're shady, if you can sit, if they're comfortable for women, if they're safe, if they're well lit, they work for everyone. So it just makes sense that I never like to think of women as being part of diversity, although that's how the business world likes to think of it. But, mm. but it is things are better when there are more views as to how they should be. Jane, do you remember how we first met? We met in a palazzo in Venice, which was pretty fabulous, <laughs> being there for the opening of the Australian exhibit in the Architecture Biennale. So it was a wonderful moment to meet because if you're in a place like that, you're completely open to new ideas, new people, new moments. So I won't forget that, our meeting, Elizabeth. (laughs) That's so kind of you. But you have had this association and then obviously entwined with dealing with a lot of architects. What's your perspective on the profession? As with all of the creative professions, architects are artists that we need to make human lives richer and better. Musicians are, writers are, poets are. But architects are a particular kind of artist who also have to be, you know, have the technical gift to get their ideas built. I've been, I guess, really fortunate in my life that my brother's an author, my son's a classical cellist, you know, my closest friends, many of them are very talented architects. Mm. And I understand the artistic temperament and artists are different. But architecture is a public art. Mm. You don't have to listen to the music and you don't have to read the book. But, But architecture, and in a way Venice is to bring that city back into the conversation is just the most perfect example. It is a public art form in itself Mm. as an entire city. It's interesting in preparation for this role, no one prepared me for the architects 
and I mean that with a lot of fondness. But then I sort of realised that they were very, very similar to what we called talent at Walt Disney <laughs> and, you know, even when I was in V8s, drivers, extremely talented people that were very focused. And I think it's very true with architecture because you're right, you know, sometimes People say, well, writers can be arrogant because, you know, what they say is printed and people read it. But architects design things that are built and people have to actually see it whether they want to or not. Yeah, it's a public, <laughs> it's a public art form. Mm. And, and that's why it causes the controversy that it causes. You know, for people in Sydney, you can read it, Elizabeth Farrelly every Saturday and, you know, you'll read it one week and think she's absolutely right and you'll read it the next week and think, what an outrage, why doesn't she like that building? There is no right and wrong. It's the same education can make you appreciate all of the art forms perhaps in a deeper way. But there's always the human response to a piece of music or a painting or a uh, building. It's true and I was reading something the, or listening to something the other day about the Sydney Opera House and you know the outrage when that was built and you know ports and had to flee and everything else and now you look at that building and particularly as we were last Friday and it's such a definitive aspect of Sydney I, I couldn't imagine not having the Sydney Opera House and yet that was such a controversy. In a sense there's two places in Australia that are the cathedrals of place and the Opera House is one and Uluru is another. Mm. And and from the outside world, I mean, I'm, and now we are locked in here, mm-hmm. but from, from people from outside Australia, I'm sure they see it like that. There are many people who do, you know, tick, yes, I've just seen that one and I'm going to see the other one. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Now, Jane, before I do want to talk about the Sydney Women's Fund, but just before we go into that, I have to ask your perspective on Brick. And obviously you've come from Adelaide, which obviously known as City of Churches, but, you know, I love Adelaide for many reasons, but also because I feel quite at home there. There's so much Brick. How have you sort of seen what's happened over the last 15 years. Yes, if I put Adelaide and Brick together, it's Brick Coins, I think they're called, oh. which is the bit around the blue stone. Yes. But that detailing yes. is is really the red brick. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the beauty of those buildings. Mm. What I thought when you first said, what is my relationship to Brick? The first time I went to Amsterdam, it was just such a discovery as a European city. It was, I went to Europe first when I was 19, but I was probably 35 when I first visited Amsterdam. And the brick is extraordinary as a material. And I particularly love curved brick. You did, I think there was a Peter Stutchbury, a flash of a brick, very curved. I don't know if it was a room because it was in in this year's oh, awards. in this year's yes, that is yes. actually. The, do you know what? That's actually a house that was designed to look at the night sky. Yeah, and they put a semi observatory in it with a big window. Yeah. Yep. Well, <laughs> you know, there were many beautiful projects passing through, passing mm. across the screen. I always love curved bricks. There's a restaurant in Florence that I've eaten in a number of times that's got a brick vaulted low ceiling. I think that it probably is that they're human scale Mm. and that they're handmade even if they're not handmade and that they're from the earth and that's me as a kind of just 
not as a trained architect, but if there's a reason why they make you feel good. Mm. There's also, yeah, I mean, it's the materiality. I don't know whether you came to that awards, but I was looking in, because you just mentioned Florence, and you know the Duomo is actually, it's brick, it's not tile. And then I was researching it so much and it's an inspirational story, but they used to just figure out whether whether the brick arches worked or not by like, putting it all together, taking the wood away and running. And if it collapsed, you know, someone was going to be rained on in bricks. And they dealt with the mortaring later. That's right. And I just always think all of these just fascinating buildings are so, when they were produced, you just look at it with so much more reverence now. Well, and that ceiling, they're they're very fine. You know, you Mm. don't don't think of them as big hefty bricks. Mm. So Jane, just talk to us a little bit now about Sydney Women's Fund and I've obviously had my own experience with it. I think the Sydney Women's Fund is such an empathetic way for us to discover these different aspects of Sydney and you've really done such a wonderful job in shining a light on those but in a way that people want to give rather than in a way that makes people want to ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist. But could you maybe just talk a little bit about some of the initiatives? Elizabeth, thank you for that. It's great to sort of hear that what your work is is resonating with people. Sydney Community Foundation is a public foundation that people can give to tax deductibly to assist Sydney siders to thrive. That's how it was established. But a bit over 10 years ago, Lucy Brogdon and Wendy McCarthy, feminist extraordinaire, decided mm-hmm. that like New York and San Francisco, most American cities, Sydney needed a women's fund. And it would do two things. It would be a voice for voiceless women. It would advocate for social change, for fairer lives for women and we do that in a number of areas, but also it would enable women who've had an education and who've had a career and who've had a prosperous and or are enjoying a successful, comfortable life to, to give to really local services, assisting women in suburbs across Greater Sydney whose lives are tough and who need support to, to rebuild their life and their independence. Mm. I'm a storyteller because that was the, well, I think that was my instinct. I was writing stories and poems as a girl at school, but certainly as a journalist at the ABC, you're trained, you're curious, you're trained to follow that curiosity and to learn about the lives of others Mm. and to simplify the story so that people can understand and feel and I've tried to bring that to Sydney Women's Fund in, in the way that we do share what it is that we're asking people to support. Mm. And I guess just looking back now and if someone was to say, okay, Jane, you've got, you could do one thing to this city or you could make this change, what, what do you think is most needed at the moment? I think the pandemic has made people both feel fearful and grateful at the same time in probably in all of Australia but Mm. certainly in Sydney. It's a city that has a very rich public life that it offers people Mm. 
you know, the parks and the beaches and the cultural institutions. There's a lot of things you can you can do here if you're well enough to do it mm-hmm. and you and you know how to do it. So I think this is a city where there's a huge focus on building infrastructure, public infrastructure, and everybody listening probably loves that because they're all part of that focus. You know, we need the trains to get around mm-hmm. and the roads and the theatres. I think what we really need because Sydney's a very divided city, our research shocked us when we learnt that about half the women aged 18 to 75 work mm-hmm. and half the women in work in this city earn $34,000 or less. Only 11% told us that they had enough super for a comfortable retirement and another 33% of those said if their marriage failed, they'd be financially vulnerable. Mm. So women are vulnerable and that while there's a focus on building public infrastructure, I think social infrastructure is really important. And Sydney Women's Fund has been raising about a million dollars a year to fund programs, but we're still not a secure organisation and yet there's... There's a lot of wealth and government pours money into a lot of things. So if there's anyone listening who wants to be a benefactor, it would be nice to think that the Sydney Women's Fund in some form will be here in perpetuity. And I think it's such a great point that you raise, Jane, because often when we hear stories, and particularly, you know, with women in in difficult situations, I think there's a natural tendency to go, well, you know, why didn't they just leave that? You know, why, why didn't they just get out? But then it's like, well, where did they go? And I think a lot of what you do and what you're promoting and suggesting is that if people know where they can go, perhaps they can get out a bit earlier. Yeah, well, it is about knowing and it's about talking about it. But it's also the programs we support aim to help women to kind of rebuild their lives. The aim is for women to be independent and we, we recently have created a mini documentary series called Women's Work with funds, thank you, very gratefully received from the New South Wales government. And that's all about trying to understand women's money stories, why women don't always have good relationships with money, they don't think they can manage it, they don't think it's theirs to manage, they give it over to mm. others. And just how important over a lifetime changing that is especially for young women, beginning a career because in the world we live in, most women are going to be working for 60 or 70 years. So it's great to think, think about. everyone is, Jane. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, it's, it's some important issues there and, and it is, I just read Sally Field's autobiography, The Actress, and, yeah, she had a, she had a relationship with money that she just gave it all to whoever was in her life. And, you know, sadly just ended up still working because of it or found that, you know, they, she was in a different position yeah. that she thought. So it's such um, a powerful moment for women to take control of that. Yeah, well, it's financial security and safety and independence are things that this country with its great prosperity and its education and healthcare, which is pretty accessible to everyone, 
having all that, it, it then becomes up to the individual how they build that safe life. And I don't like, as a woman over 55, knowing that the fastest growing group of homeless people in this country are women over 55. Yes, there are many social issues, but, but that's not that's a situation we don't want the 20-year-olds going into the workforce to find themselves in. Absolutely not, yes. Jane, I'm so grateful for how much I learn every time I speak to you and I really am grateful that we've been able to amplify this conversation so that our listeners in some of our wider community can hear it. We're going to go through the rapid-fire questions now. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? I adore a newspaper and I buy the weekend financial times on Saturday morning from the Potts Point bookstore, which is very close to me, for the weekend. But on other days, I read the New York Times on my iPhone, followed by the Sydney Morning Herald. I'm exactly the same. (laughs) Handwriting or typing? Look, I type. I can't write as fast as I think. So I typed when I wrote Places Women Make and generally I type, but I write poetry and I handwrite that. Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? I've never listened to an audiobook. I adore paper and the t- page turning and I, don't, I, I pack too many books. I'm always told by the people I travel with. What's important to you, style or substance? You have to answer substance, but I adore style. Coffee or tea? Uh, tea. TV shows or movies? Movies. Antique or brand new? Mm, I could say both, but antique. You can say both. Call or text? Call is the instinctive answer. Travel back in time or into the future? Back in time. Exterior or interior? Interior. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Complex or simple with relation to design? Complex. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to be with today. It's fantastic, Elizabeth. Really (laughs) lovely to have a conversation that's so widely across different interests. We covered a lot. So once again, thank you for joining us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.